0: You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we go through every episode of Malcolm in the Middle and re-watch, or in David's case, watch every episode, and then talk about it. Today, we are talking about Season 1, Episode 4, Shame, which originally aired February 6, 2000, was directed by Nick Mark and written by David Richardson. I'm Jake, but my real name is Disease. Wow.
1: Also, great. And I'm David. Just David. Just David. That's right.
0: This is the first episode we have to deal with that has an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot. Previously, we've only had A and B plots at the most. This establishes a pretty frequent thing where Francis has sort of his own separate plot that's not really connected with the rest of the episode in any way. Well, yeah. He's off at military school. Exactly. Uh, That's the simplest one to go through so I figured we would start with that one. Okay. As you said, Francis is at military school and we get an important new character in this episode. We get Commandant Spangler who is played by Daniel Von Bogner. This is his first appearance but he will be sort of the main antagonist for Francis's solo plot lines for the most part through like the first season and a half-ish.
1: Interesting. He's a nifty character. Yeah, Commandant uh, Spangler's great. It's very interesting. I'm curious to see other interactions with him.
0: This particular confrontation with Commandant Spangler starts with Sex Ed.
1: Everyone's favorite.
0: Which Commandant Spangler is using as a method to deter the cadets from their improper desires because he can't use his old methods anymore of cold showers and frequent beatings
1: that is correct he is forced to rely upon you know lesser known and not as effective methods education
0: uh, specifically he is showing slides uh, presumably of infected genitalia infected with various stds as the uh, cadets stare on in horror and some of them claim to have sex ruined by uh the slides, whereas Francis just seems mostly, uh, disgusted with Commandant Spangler's methods.
1: Yeah, the slides don't seem to bother him at all. No. It's it's like he has a level of experience that is disturbing.
0: I mean, we did see in episode one, one of the things he was getting in trouble for was his girlfriend climbing out of a bed getting dressed, so. That, That is true. But Francis... Takes it upon himself to protect the lower classmen from Spangler's sex ad lesson. So he breaks into his office. Uh, initially, his plan is to steal the slides that he's using, but when he's in the office, he finds Commandant Spangler's, it seems like, vacation photos.
1: I think it says, like, Club Med Xmas Party or something like that yeah. on the outside of it.
0: These slides have embarrassing photos of the Commandant, such as him drinking, him kissing, him in a Speedo, and him out of a Speedo. So Francis decides that instead of stealing the slides, he's going to replace the slides with pictures of Commandant Spangler. When we come back, it's Francis stepping in to watch his plan in action as Spangler does his uh, lesson for the lower classmen. And... Instead of the photos of Spangler that he had uh, replaced, the photos are of Francis picking his nose and peeing at the urinal. While scratching his ass. Spangler reveals that he checked the slides before he uh, showed them and basically lets Francis know that he's on to him and he's going to have to try harder if he wants to fuck with him.
1: Yes, he, he very much so lets Francis know that he is one step ahead of him without trying.
0: Yes, uh, and that's pretty much all we get of that plot line. It's pretty much where it ends. And it, it does a nice job of setting up sort of the relationship that Francis and Commandant Spangler will have through uh, his time on the show so before we move to the a and b plot which are fairly interconnected we still have the cold open <laughs> which i totally skipped over on accident it's such
1: a good scene it but it's it's different than the other cold opens that we've had so far
0: so uh yes this cold open is a funeral for dewey's pet frog jumpy nine which malcolm <laughs> initially misnumbers as eight and seems incredulous when Dewey keeps insisting that it's nine, implying that uh, Dewey has already managed to kill eight other frogs. Yep. And they Reese says some words for the uh, funeral, or remembering the time when he uh, put him in Lois's son visor in her car, and she almost ran over an old lady because of it. It was hilarious. Yes. God, that
1: kid is... There's something wrong with that kid.
0: Yeah, Reese is, like, legitimately a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> it zooms out to uh, show that the their method of sending these frogs off into the afterlife <laughs> is to fire them off on fireworks, uh, which hal lights for them like a responsible father.
1: I don't even think it's fireworks. It looks like an old school like bottle rocket. Yeah. Except for the explosion at the end. Like, they're implying that it's fireworks. It definitely looks like a bottle rocket, though. Yeah. I mean. Either way, it's a rocket-shaped thing. It's got, like, this very obviously fake dead frog taped to shit with masking tape on it. It also, by the way, reminded me of so much shit that we used to do when we were kids. Not the killing of frogs, but, like, we would take, like, toys and things and, like, tie them to bottle rockets and shit and be like how many bottle rockets does it take to make this fucking thing
0: fly yes i i do recall mostly you and our friend ryan doing that a lot look you were there
1: dewey is an innocent angel but he was
0: still a bystander to this so is dewey an innocent angel in this he's killed a <laughs> lot of frogs for science jake god uh, that's how that works i don't think it's for science
1: look they don't say otherwise so it's for science
0: I'll let, you, I'll let you keep believing that, David. You're right, you will. Because you cannot <laughs> convince me otherwise. The the cold open ends with them launching the rocket off, w- wishing him a nice rest in pieces. And that's pretty much it for the cold open. B-plot of this episode is also fairly simple. There, there's not a lot of depth to it. It's got It's a little more involved than Francis' plotline, but not by much. And this B-plot revolves mostly around Hal. Yay, Hal. Because he has decided that they need to cut down the tree in their front yard after Dewey falls out of it.
1: Well, yeah, Uh, I mean, it's a menace, Jake. He's tired of birds pooping on their car. He's tired of raking up leaves. And now it's attacking the children.
0: And it has a creepy face that looks like it's always watching you. Exactly. I'd cut down that tree, too. (laughs) We, We don't get to see Hal cut down the tree, We find Hal having just finished When the boys come home from school uh, He he describes it for them And how great it was (laughs) As he cut it down And two thirds of the way through it just came down His chainsaw went flying All the car alarms in the neighborhood went off Bunch of squirrels ran out And they got chased by a pack of dogs And it was the greatest thing he's ever seen But he ensures the boys that they'll be able to help With the best part, cleaning up
1: And uh, Reese looks enthused
0: rest of the spotlight sort of the heart of it is for this cleanup, Hal gets a wood chipper, which Reese and Dewey are immediately drawn to and think it's the coolest thing ever (laughs) as he is throwing branches in. And Hal is initially unimpressed until Dewey throws his lunchbox (laughs) into it. And Hal realizes that actually the wood chipper is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I I love that moment of where it starts as a lecture and he's like about to yell at Dewey and then he realizes, no, that was cool.
0: Yes. Then they, uh, start throwing a bunch of different stuff into the wood chipper to see what happens.
1: Yep, Watermelon, uh, rugs, confetti, uh, stuffed, uh, Winnie the Pooh. Let's see, what else did they put in
0: there? Uh, they also threw in a pillow and a Hawaiian shirt. That's right. the two that you were missing. So it ends with the box of confetti, which just comes out the other end as still confetti. And Hal says, uh, after cheering while it's happening... Uh, we're officially out of ideas. <laughs> yep. Then the sort of bow on the B plot is how plants a new tree, uh, after the neighbors complain because they can now see the house that the tree was hiding, their <laughs> house. But looking at the new tree... Hal starts to uh, feel bad about what he's done. He doesn't like this tree as much because it doesn't have a face. Well, it does, but it's a tiny one. And it
1: doesn't follow you everywhere.
0: And he cuts down the tiny tree as well. Good for him. You go, Hal. (laughs) Because it's just not the same. Uh, But that's really all that happens with the B plot. It's just sort of following Hal and Reese and Dewey as they destroy and then shred the tree and then various other stuff. And it's enough, Jake. It's enough. Yeah, it's a good B-plot. It's great. The majority of the episode is focused around Malcolm this time. The A-plot starts with Malcolm and Stevie playing baseball, with Stevie setting the stage for uh, the, the imaginary game that they're having for his pitch, and Malcolm complaining that he's taking too long. Then when Stevie does throw the ball, it hurts Malcolm's hand, and Malcolm tries to throw the ball back. Uh, Not
1: a great throw See I don't know I got that he was like Throwing it over Stevie's head on purpose To be a dick because Stevie makes The comment about do you want me to kiss it Talking about his hand mocking him And then it totally looked to me like Malcolm was like well fuck you then and threw It over his head on purpose (laughs)
0: That's not how it looked to me. It it just looked like a shitty throw. Because it doesn't go, like, straight over Stevie's head. It goes, like, to the side. Like, it's not even a straight throw at all. It looks very much like me throwing a ball.
1: Damn it, I was about to make that same joke. I was about to say, I've seen you throw a ball, so it didn't exactly. (laughs) Didn't take me by surprise at all.
0: I recognize a bad throw when I see one, David. You would. (laughs) But the ball lands at the feet of Kevin. Uh. Uh, Kevin is a kid who's significantly bigger than Malcolm, both taller and significantly heavier. He's a chubby boy. And he immediately starts to mock Malcolm when Malcolm asks for the ball back, does the sort of standard elementary school stuff of repeating everything that Malcolm's saying. Until Malcolm says something in, I think, Spanish? It was Latin. Oh, was it? Yes. I wasn't paying enough attention to it.
1: Yeah, no, he... he addresses him in Latin. Okay. But also, I would like to point out that there's the fourth wall break where Malcolm introduces Kevin as being uh, new to the school and having only been there for a couple weeks, but already being the most obnoxious kid in school. So you get the tone that this is not the first time that Malcolm has had to interact with him.
0: Yep. Then Kevin throws the ball away and tells Malcolm to go get it, basically. Calls him a crybaby. That's their initial confrontation, which just sort of serves to establish the relationship between Malcolm and Kevin sort of set up that they they, they've had this sort of incident before and this is sort of how things go between them when we come back to the school and between the stuff with the b plot getting set up it is lunchtime and Malcolm is excited because they get frozen pizza today and there's no way that even Kevin could ruin that, which of course means that Kevin is about to ruin that for him by cutting in front of him in line, getting two slices of pizza, leaving Malcolm with American goulash.
1: Which, by the way, looks nothing like goulash when you see it on the plate. It
0: it, it tracks as a public school lunch, though.
1: Yeah, it it's, it is mystery soup is what it is. Yeah. It's carrots and some other stuff.
0: Maybe Skittles. Maybe. As he's eating... Kevin comes over to mock him because he's eating goulash while Kevin got the pizza. And he continues to bully Malcolm till Stevie steps in because he's got Malcolm's back. Takes his glasses off and rolls over to Kevin. And when Kevin asks him what he's looking at. He says, mostly light, some shadows. Uh, Stevie's so great. <laughs> right? Uh, which, uh, I can relate to. Because that's pretty much what I see without my glasses.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're pretty blind.
0: Kevin continues to mock Malcolm until Malcolm snaps the, uh, last straw bean, Kevin accidentally spitting some pizza sauce on Malcolm's face. So, Malcolm proceeds to, uh, start kicking the shit out of Kevin. He ground and pounds that kid. Which apparently he learned from watching hockey. He, he beats Kevin, and Kevin's face gets covered in the pizza sauce. And then we get a hard cut to the nurse's office, where Kevin is crying while the nurse tends to him. And it is revealed that Kevin is seven years old. In fact, he just turned seven. It is his birthday. Yep. And he's only a second grader. Malcolm immediately feels... Very bad for having beat up someone significantly younger than him.
1: Yes, and also bewildered by the fact that this behemoth of a child is seven.
0: Yes, Uh, (laughs) that sets up Malcolm's emotional stakes for the rest of the episode, as the, the rest of the episode is about him dealing with the guilt of having beat up a little kid. Yes, hence the episode title, Shame. From there, we go back home, where the family is eating breakfast, presumably the next day. Malcolm is expecting to be punished but the rest of his family is very okay with what has happened in fact they laugh at him yes they think it's hilarious that Malcolm feels so guilty about it especially Reese is happy because it sends a message to their enemies what enemies? (laughs) their family is capable of anything Uh, Hal just sort of writes it off as a mistake, and Lois and Dewey pretty much just laugh at him. Intersecting with the B-plot, the neighbors show up to complain about the tree being cut down. And when they do, Lois immediately starts yelling at them, then eventually Hal and Reese join in, uh, yelling that it's their yard and they can do what they want with it. And Malcolm is envisioning this as the family turning into monkeys. And their behavior, I should specify. Uh, It's still the actors, but they're making monkey sounds. Screeching and howling. Yes, and Dewey is uh, doing the scratching the head and scratching the armpit at the same time. Standard monkey pantomime motions. Malcolm concludes that the reason he's so fucked up is because his family is so fucked up. And then proceeds to start to scratch his armpit. And
1: then looks at the camera as if to, you know, show that he's also a little bit of a wild
0: primate. This sets Malcolm out out on a uh, a quest to find answers outside of his home. Oh, my God. So, he goes to a Catholic church, a synagogue. Oh, you got the right word. Yeah, of course. Good job. Uh, What I don't have the right word for is the third church, because I'm not sure exactly what they're going for, but it's definitely some kind of New Age like hippie trying to incorporate Buddhist spirituality type of church.
1: Yeah, it was very much so not a specific one. They used multiple of the newer age and Zen style symbols in the background on the stained glass, which, by the way, is how you can tell that, aside from the person sitting on the other side of the desk, is how you can tell that Malcolm has shuffled through these different churches is the stained glass behind them, which I found hilarious because you don't see much stained glass outside of like catholic and protestant churches but oh well but yeah it's it's some sort of just like i think it's supposed to be like all-inclusive hippie commune style (laughs) religions as a person who studied many of them for work uh, there's nothing obvious like it's not there's nothing that clearly points to one above the other as much as like the star of david in the jewish synagogue and the crucifix in the catholic church and the priest's collar
0: but then we get a sort of weird rap <laughs> almost uh, where it's cutting between these different religious figures giving malcolm differing advice on what he should do to be a good person. Also, who knows? I love, uh,
1: I love some of the lines they give the the rabbi. They're so Jewish.
0: Malcolm walks away from that, just as confused as he went in, not really having found any answers.
1: Yeah, literally, with the line huh <laughs> i i thought
0: it was great yes so the the next time we cut back we have malcolm in class where the other crelvoins are doing play practice with the crelvoin who is directing the play being very frustrated with the performance he's getting from his actors i didn't double check but i'm fairly sure that's a racer head as the crelvoin it is who's directing there. He's kind of a recurring character, but not really. We don't we don't get like any significant arcs from him like we will some of the Krowl points.
1: He's just a recurring background character.
0: Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> While that's going on Malcolm is complaining about his feelings of guilt to Stevie who uh, is done with it <laughs> he is tired of listening to Malcolm whine.
1: Yes it, it definitely gives the impression that this is a couple days later and Malcolm has not shut up about it. Yes. With my favorite Stevie line of the show by the way not quite my favorite line because I know we're still getting to that my favorite Stevie line of Malcolm says something along the lines of uh, uh, basically everyone was done listening to him and, and he knew Stevie was done talking about it and then stevie looks over and goes and yet you keep talking the labored sarcasm just
0: so good always good to see an episode that's more stevie in it but after it, it pans over so we can just see malcolm as he continues to talk about his problem that it pans back over stevie has rolled away without malcolm noticing malcolm decides that he Needs to really give it a lot of thought and figure out some way to make things right. He's really gonna search and put his mind to it. And then he turns and the goes with the first thing he sees, which is a charity run.
1: (laughs) And he decides that he needs to get as many pledges per mile as possible and do this big act so that he can put it all behind him and be done with this
0: will say it uh, did my heart some good to see Malcolm uh, sort of waffling over whether doing good thing just to make himself feel better is actually a good thing as a philosophy minor. It's like, ah, oh, yes, the makings of, of a future moral philosopher.
1: Uh, yeah, I caught that. I was wondering <laughs> if you're going to say something about it
0: but Malcolm decides to do the charity run because he hates running and he'll have to practice so it'll take dedication. And then we see Malcolm preparing for uh, this run by letting a dog out of a yard and then running away from it as it chases him. Uh, And intercut with that we also see him collecting pledges, uh, initially having no success. It's just people opening their door, then turning him away, until he starts using Stevie's wheelchair to,
1: to get people to pledge. And then suddenly he gets the most. Weird how that
0: works. Yeah. <laughs> and we also get a shot of Stevie uh, just sitting on the sidewalk, looking at Malcolm, looking very upset about it.
1: Yeah, yeah it's it's. Very clear, just through the body language, that this was not Stevie's idea.
0: And that leads us to the big day of the marathon, where we learn that Malcolm got the most pledges. Uh, If he goes the entire marathon, he will make $8,000 for the charity. And Hal and Lois are there to watch, and Hal asks if there's a beer guy there. Don't think they sold beer at any elementary school events growing up. So I wasn't
1: in school, but I did the sporting events at, like, local rec teams, and they definitely sold beer at the stands at the uh, soccer fields. Yeah. Out on the north end of town. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's probably a matter of not being on, you know, school property.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. But this is Wyoming, Jake. They're going to sell beer if
0: they can sell beer. Fair enough. The race starts. Malcolm takes exactly one step. Then he immediately trips and gets trampled by everyone behind him. Trips over his own foot. Again, I relate to Malcolm a lot. I (laughs) This this is an episode that especially, I like, I am Malcolm at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Then he rolls over and just says, out. For our final scene... We go back to the house where Lois is treating Malcolm's wounds uh, with some antibiotic... What's that stuff called? Uh, antibiotic or antiseptic? Uh, it's very specifically the big
1: brown bottle. Yeah, it's, it's antiseptic, yeah. and she's using hydrogen peroxide
0: yes that, that, and that's a, what i was looking and
1: for. a band-aid
0: i knew exactly what it was i just couldn't remember the name for it
1: i know i just like to see you flounder thanks david you're welcome. appreciate that oh
0: anytime but as she's cleaning up his knee they, they have a little talk in which lois tells malcolm the reason he feels guilty is because he has a conscience and he should be happy about the fact he feels bad about this some people don't do that they only feel bad uh it's implied uh, around the holidays when god they think god is watching them uh it's a it's a nice little speech that she gives him and it's one of the it's really the first moment we've got to see lois doing non-yelly mom stuff and it's really i don't know i think
1: it's important because like it goes back to kind of some of the vibes you get in episode one of like she knows malcolm is special and she she knows he's a good kid she you see that part of lois where she loves her family she also might bury them all in a river but she loves them
0: yeah we we get to see lois being a a different kind of good mom than the usual kind we get because she's not in a directly like antagonistic position with them for once After this nice, heartwarming speech, the episode ends as the camera pans over and we see Hal sitting on the toilet with a newspaper pooping, having been there through the entire speech, just doing his business while they were having this heart-to-heart speech.
1: This is a normal thing. Mom and kid are going to interrupt bathroom time.
0: Yep. Uh, Hal seems completely unbothered by it. To transition... Into the awards pretty directly. The, that, that final uh, image of Hal sitting on the toilet, that, that is the image that gets my award for the Roller Skating King Award, the award for the best visual moment in the episode.
1: Fair. It almost made my list, but I am a sucker. For wood chipper scenes, I think it's because I saw Fargo so long ago and loved it. I, I have to give it to the wood chipper montage because that was amazing. I can remember being younger and like stuff like that being super exciting, so it was relatable. I I love the way that they shot it, and I I just I love the montages in this show and the way they cut them up and and choose to use little clips uh, and. and quick glances at the faces of the actors to really portray what's going on like they're not long montages or anything like that like what you get out of other shows where they're really trying to convey something they they do it very very quickly very snappily and I like it
0: did it quite do it far the way some of the other montages in the show have it was good but it, 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 it did it didn't quite have as much to it
1: it's no dirtying up the house but again fargo wood chipper uh, automatic hey, listen,
0: if they'd put sifu shimmy in that wood chipper i'd have been on board
1: <laughs> i mean i automatically give it points because it's a wood chipper so but fair
0: enough uh, I, i'm glad to see that we have the same immediate connotation for if we see a wood chipper the, the first thought is immediately of fargo <laughs>
1: Oh, 100%.
0: Who did you have for your best kid?
1: Best son in this one is Malcolm. Barely. Uh, I originally had Dewey. Dewey does get the, uh, he he really wants to kill the tree.
0: And he killed all those frogs,
1: David. (laughs) (laughs) No, we don't know that. That could be science. Also, Mm. (laughs) that's a normal little kid thing not like dissecting them and tearing them to pieces like reese probably would be just saying but yeah no malcolm because he actually has a conscience he feels bad about what he's doing He agonizes over whether or not him agonizing over it is him just being selfish. Yep. Like, there's a lot of actual, like, morality going on in this young man's mind, which you don't normally see from the boys. They're generally not the moral epicenter of the episodes, unless they're, you know, the moral antithesis of what the lesson is.
0: Uh, I also had Malcolm as best kid for this episode, pretty much for the same reasons... And we we see Malcolm actually trying to do the right thing. And we sort of see that, like, even when he's trying to do the right thing, it's never going to turn out well for him. It's like he's universally incapable of doing good things.
1: Yeah, that kid's real (laughs) cursed. He broke a mirror somewhere in his life.
0: And for worst kid, for uh, the first time, I have Dewey. What?
1: No, (laughs) Dewey is an angel, and you take that back.
0: Again, he's killed nine frogs. Allegedly. He's super happy about the tree dying. Way too happy about it. He wants Malcolm to beat up kids in his class for him. Oh, that! Oh, I forgot about that. Listen. Yeah. Usually I'm on board with your Dewey is too good for this world propaganda. I like Dewey, but he's the shittiest one in this episode.
1: I disagree still. First of all, one, can I nominate
0: Kevin? No. Because he's not their son? Yeah.
1: Okay, then in that case, it's Reese.
0: Reese was a contender for me.
1: Look, Reese is shitty. One, he has the really bad pun in the cold open. Two, he is all for uh, Malcolm beating up kids and little kids. He talks to Malcolm on the walk home and says that him being called a thug in the note from school is like winning an oscar and is talking to malcolm like he has also beat up younger kids frequently
0: oh yeah he definitely has
1: yeah and then there's also the laughing about his mom almost killing someone because of the prank he pulled involving one of the frogs which also by the way means that that frog's death was on reese
0: we don't know that the frog died
1: we do. It's implied.
0: It's implied. We don't know that the the frog died in that situation. But that frog died. We do know we that. We do know the frog died. We don't know that that's how the frog I'm gonna died. I'm going to assume that's how the frog died. Okay, okay. We'll we'll, we'll, get, we'll give Reese one frog death. Yeah. To Dewey's eight. For science, Jake. No. <laughs> if Malcolm was doing it, it would be for science. You don't know that. I do,
1: though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. You cannot convince me. Dewey's an angel. He's really not, though.
0: <laughs> in this episode, no. Dewey's worse kid.
1: I disagree. But since I can't nominate Kevin, Reese it is. <laughs> Fucking
0: psychopath. I, I'm not contesting that point. <laughs> <laughs> I just think in this particular episode, Dewey was worse. You're wrong. Uh, We can move on to best line. You already dull mine earlier in the episode because it is stevie's line when malcolm is complaining that stevie is his best friend and even he doesn't care about what's going on to which stevie replies and yet keep talking
1: uh it was amazing (laughs) i love the delivery of that line stevie's face it just it perfect perfect sarcasm and i get that i still in my notes even after deleting the third line have two that are kind of tied for me but i think i'm gonna have to go with as much as it makes him the shittiest son i really love reese's conversation of it sends a good message to our enemies to which Malcolm replies, "What enemies?" "Oh, they're out there." <laughs> uh, I just love that exchange. The sinister grin on Reese's face just makes it that much better.
0: Yes. It's also worth noting that while he's grinning, uh, it's completely silent except you hear a crow in the background kind. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh (laughs) It was amazing. I love that scene. It's a great line, but I have to give an honorable mention to the, uh, Commandant as he leans in, because especially for, like, my military friends and people that I hang out with, he leans in and he says, a good soldier always checks the chamber, which is so true. Also, such a old salty sea dog hardened military way of saying, I'm better than you. You don't even know.
0: (laughs) I feel like we should take this opportunity, since we didn't do it earlier, to describe what Commandant Spangler looks like. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> he, he's always wearing his full military uniform. He's a older guy, looks like he's probably like in his late 40s, maybe early 50s. Yeah. is uh, balding, and he has an eye patch, and he has a hook for one of his hands.
1: Yeah, it's one of the old school prosthetics yes. with the two little hooks that like pinch together for things.
0: Yeah, so so that's that's what Commandant Spangler looks like.
1: A hundred percent, and it's great.
0: For our next award, we have favorite character. So who is your favorite character, David? Uh,
1: My favorite character in this episode is Hal. Okay. One, I I love the scene at the end where he's just completely unfazed uh, and just sitting there doing his shit. No pun intended. But also just the the sheer excitement and joy that he uh, gets... In the chaos of the wood chipper and the tree incident and just a good dad having, you know, fun with his boys. Uh, yeah, I also had Hal for my
0: favorite character. Yeah. A- anytime an episode re- revolves around Hal having fun. It's a uh, it's a good time. Yeah. Brian Cranston is a god. Lo- Lois is in her element when she's screaming Hal is in his element when he is goofing off. 100%. So our last award is the A Plot of Your Heart. In which we decide which of the three plot lines you, you, is our favorite. You missed an award. What award did I miss? You missed the OK Boomer. Oh, I did miss the OK Boomer Award. Wow.
1: So our next award is the OK Boomer Award.
0: Uh, so what did you have for that, David? So
1: I have for that the slideshow that the Commandant shows and the old school slides that it shows Francis pulling out and looking at because I remember owning one of those. And it was old when I was using it as a kid. That thing is like a relic and it definitely yeah. it, it dates the show very much so because anytime past 2000s even in an outdated military school and stuff you are not seeing those kind of things
0: even in the year 2000 that's I never saw one of those used in like an actual educational setting.
1: I had one of those used in a college class of mine. So that, which you gotta remember 2005, I went to college. So like, to me, I think that was like perfect. Cause it's, it, it just screams of the like low budget behind the times, still having to use technology from like the eighties. I don't know. It, it really encapsulated my experience. Okay.
0: Fair enough. I was going to go with that for my OK Boomer Award, but I did have a backup in case you took that, which was the uh, school lunch. Oh, God. Very much in line with what school lunches were like when I was in elementary school. They definitely have gotten less awful. (laughs) They're, oh, yeah. st- they're still not great by any stretch of the imagination. They're, they're not the brown mystery goop that you would sometimes get when uh, I was growing up that, that we see here.
1: Uh, Go homeschooling, because I never had to deal with that. I always knew what I was eating. It may not have been good, but I always knew what it was.
0: But we did get pizza once a week. It wasn't even frozen pizza, it was Pizza eh. You'll never understand the excitement of Pizza Day, David.
1: You're right, Jake. Especially over Pizza Hut. Place is gross.
0: Pizza Hut's fine.
1: Look, it's
0: tolerable. It's fine. It's tolerable. Back to the A plot of the heart. I had the in line with Hal being my favorite character of the episode. The B plot of the wood chipper shenanigans as the A plot of my heart.
1: Fair. Uh, I actually had to give the A plot of my heart to uh, the C plot line and Francis's plot line. While I thoroughly enjoy Hal and the wood chipper and everything. I, I always enjoy Francis as well, and I, I just love all of the uh, military school shenanigans. I, I really like the introduction of the Commandant, that whole scene, and Francis trying to, quote, save the underclassmen from uh, the Commandant and his methods. I, I That plot was really good.
0: Yeah, it was pretty good. I, it, definitely the uh, wood chipper is the portion of this episode that I think of when I think of this episode. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't
1: blame you. The wood chipper was great.
0: One last thing before we finish wrapping up. I do have my trivia for the uh, opening as we're... Going through one by one each of the clips they show in the title sequence of the show. This one is one of them that I actually recognize without having to look it up. Uh, It is the Kraken coming up uh, out of the ocean, which is, of course, from the 1981 version of Clash of the Titans, the uh, Laurence Olivier version. Okay. Yeah, I've seen,
1: so I recognize it. Fair enough. Uh, I actually have never seen that.
0: It's not great.
1: I I have heard. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And yet people speak of it so often.
0: It's a classic bad movie. Ah, gotcha. Uh, If you disagreed with our assessment of the best and worst son, you can go on Twitter and find us where we are at unfair underscore podcast. And you can vote yourself for who you think the shittiest and least shitty kids were. So we put up a poll after every episode comes out every week.
1: Yep. And you can also contact us there and uh, let us know any other feedback that you have, questions that you have, something we might have missed, or uh, any sort of communication that you want to have with uh, Jake or I, you can do there
0: on Twitter. You can also reach us by email where we are uh, life is at gmail.com if you would prefer to do that if you're not a twitter person if you enjoyed this then please uh, leave a review on the podcatcher of your choice where you're listening to it helps us get seen it makes the podcast easier to find for other people and stuff like that so if you could do that that would be greatly appreciated and you can also find us on twitch where we stream under LP Deathray on Twitch. So twitch.tv
1: slash LPDeathRay. will take you straight to our channel, and you can watch us stream. If you enjoy our banter and our conversation here and our analysis of things, we basically do similar things while playing video games. So if you're into that kind of thing, stop on by, check us out, click the Purple Heart. It really supports us and supports all the projects that we do, including this one.
0: Thanks for listening, and remember, life is unfair.